good reminder for us this morning as we turn our attention to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 13. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to follow along as we look into this passage of Scripture today. Several years ago, I was pastoring a young man. His name was Alex. And Alex, when I first met him, it was, it was noticeable to me that that he carried some sort of physical deformity in his spine. It, it, it hindered his ability to walk and move quickly and move freely. Over the years, his spine became more and, and, and more affected by this until eventually he was nearly incapable of, of standing up straight, bent over at the waist. And, and having to kind of twist his head in a, in a contorted manner to even be able to look upon you. I, I'm not sure exactly what his medical diagnosis was, but certainly sounds very familiar to the woman we read about in Luke chapter 13 in this encounter that she had with Jesus. Look with me at these verses. Luke chapter 13, we'll begin at verse 10, and we'll go down to verse 17 this morning. Now, he was teaching that he, of course, is Jesus. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself out. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Let's, let's pause there this morning, and we'll continue reading the remainder of the verses as we make our way through the text this morning, as we see Jesus encountering this unnamed woman with some sort of physical ailment, some sort of a physical malady that she had had. Luke tells us here that she had had it for 18 years. Of course, she's one of the focal characters within the text this morning. There are two other of the focal characters, not only this afflicted woman, but there is also a compassionate Savior. And then thirdly, as we'll see in a few moments, there was a heartless Pharisee as well in the midst of all of this. Let's, let's turn our attention, first of all, to this character of this, this afflicted woman and what was going on with her. For 18 years, we are told that she had this malady. Dr. John Wilkinson was a medical missionary and he, after evaluating through Luke's gospel, Luke also being a physical uh, a physician, uh, they paid much attention to things of a physical nature, uh, things of a medical nature he would describe in detail, more so than some of the other gospel writers. And John Wilkinson coming along and evaluating the case and looking at what was going on with this woman said that it appears she probably had what would be diagnosed as spondylitis ankylopoietica. I practiced that all week to be able to say that. I don't know if I did it right or not. You don't know if I did it right or not if you're not in the medical field. If you are in the medical field, just hush. That will be our little secret, okay? So this is what he says she probably had. It was a malady that affects the spine, and some of the, 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 the things are fused together within that, and so you become hunched in some way, seriously, in this woman's case. A pitiful sight she must have been, quite honestly. 
honestly, to those around her on a day-to-day -day basis, probably the disease had affected her body so that over time it had grown worse and worse until now we meet her and she is unable to stand upright at all. During that time, she probably had come to be seen less and less by those around her, unless she was seen perhaps as an oddity perhaps treated with ridicule or mockery because of the way she looked. She was dwarfed to almost half her height here by the time we're introduced to her. Very short in stature, easily overlooked, lost within the crowd. If you would be looking for her, it would be easy for you to not find her because she would be consistently stooped in her nature. And here we find Jesus in the synagogue, teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This was his custom. As a good Jewish man, he would frequent the synagogue on a weekly basis, going to the Sabbath. And here he is teaching on the Sabbath. You remember that Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus begins... His, his ministry, if you will, that he begins his healing, he begins his teaching ministry in one of the synagogues. In Luke chapter 4, he unrolls a scroll from the prophecy of Isaiah. He reads these verses to the people in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads this quote from the prophecy of Isaiah. He rolls up the, the scroll, hands it back to the keeper of the scrolls, and he sits down to say, Today, this is fulfilled in your sight. In other words, what Isaiah spoke about, he spoke about Jesus, and Jesus says, I am the one who has come to do just this. And now here we find him again in Luke chapter 13 in the synagogue. Interestingly enough, it's the last time in Luke's gospel that we find him in the synagogue. And so you have these bookends of the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, he announces his plans to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And now in Luke chapter 13, again in the synagogue, he sets one at liberty who has been oppressed. So here he is in the synagogue teaching. And behold, we're told, verse 11, there was a woman. Here she comes. The teaching had apparently already begun when she comes into the synagogue. It's interesting to me that we read that she comes into the synagogue as was no doubt her custom in life, but the time for teaching had already begun. She arrives late, in other words. It's understandable to a certain extent, isn't it? She would have had difficulty in preparing herself Difficulty in walking, difficulty in making her way through the crowds of people, yet still she came. Is that a little bit of a convicting encouragement to us, perhaps, or maybe an encouraging conviction to us? Here she comes in pain, in struggle, in turmoil, and yet still she attends herself to gather with God's people in worship and to hear the word of God taught. It's an encouragement to us today who 
For so many various and inconsequential reasons choose to frequently absent ourselves from gathering on the Lord's Day with our church family in worship to hear the Word of God proclaimed and taught. As I think of this woman and as I thought of her throughout this week, I was reminded many of you are, are probably unaware, dare I say most of you are probably unaware that we have just such a scenario in our midst, quite honestly. I dare not use his name, number one, because I've not asked permission to do so, and number two, because I'm quite certain he would say, do not honor me on the Lord's day, but make much of Jesus instead. However, we have one in our own midst who in constant pain and suffering is faithful in attendance to worship with God's people and hear the word of God taught and proclaimed. What a tremendous encouragement this is to us. Suffering, in pain, in struggle, and yet still making point to be with God's people. Be encouraged in that this morning. In she walks. Here she comes, noticeable only because she has arrived tardy and such a pitiful condition. However, while it is the case that others overlook her or see her as something to, to be pitied or even worse, perhaps mocked, Jesus spies her out. Jesus sees her. How very like Jesus this is. He always spies down out those who are bowed down, does he not? He always sees those who are downtrodden. He always sees those who are oppressed in some way. Perhaps you're in that kind of position today. You think nobody really knows me, nobody really cares. Your trouble, whatever it is, is unknown. You wouldn't reveal it if you had a chance to. <clears throat> you, you feel otherwise alone. Don't despair in that. You have a friend left. And he sees you in your condition, whatever that may be. And as Jesus comes and he observes this one who is least observed on that Sabbath in the synagogue, we trust that he'll do the same today for you. We ask him to do the same today for you. Here's this woman bent over for 18 years. She's not been able to gaze upon the blue sky. She's not been able to see a nighttime star. Her face has been drawn down towards the dust for all this time. Walking about almost as though she was looking for a grave. And one would imagine that perhaps she would be happy if she would find it for herself. She simply could not lift herself up. No doubt... People at times have told her to. We don't know her age, but let's, let's imagine that she's not an elderly woman, as she is oftentimes depicted in art and in teaching. Maybe she was a young girl when the malady first came. It was unknown exactly the extent of it. But maybe she would be sitting around the dinner table and her parents would say to her, Sit up straight! 
Maybe, maybe she would be with her friends in the marketplace and they would say to her, don't slouch so much. But what use is that? Well, what use is it to say to someone who cannot sit up straight, sit up straight? You might as well say to a blind man, see, you can't. It's impossible. And that's the condition in which this, this poor woman found herself. She is in a miserable condition and she is unable to do anything about it. Stand up straight. I can't. Don't slouch. I have to. There is this false teaching that has permeated so much of our philosophy and thought. You have perhaps heard it said, I hope you've not said it, God helps those who help themselves. It's a lie. It's a bold-faced lie. God helps us because we are incapable of helping ourselves. There was a woman who simply could not do anything about her condition. But then we see the second person in all of this, the compassionate Savior. We, we read of, of, of him again in verse 12. He is there teaching, but then he sees her after 18 years. 18 long years, each with 12 dreary months, dragging like a chain behind us. We're, we're told that Satan had bound her. Not exactly sure what that might mean. It doesn't appear to be an exorcism of some sort like Jesus would usually conduct. But in some ways, she was bound by, by Satan. It, it's a reminder to us that when we get right down to it, all sickness ultimately comes from him. Now, we reminded ourselves last week that it isn't because of sin personally that you have committed that there might be sickness. But we do know that if there were no sin, there would be no sickness. And so in the sickness, in the cancer, in the heart disease, in whatever it is, Satan rejoices in that. He loves that when it comes to people. God created imperfection. God placed him in the Garden of Eden. There was no sickness. When sin entered into creation, with that sin came sickness. So we're all affected by it. It's one of the reasons, quite honestly, that we look forward to heaven so much. Sickness is gone. Sin is gone. Death is gone. And here with his tool of disease, Satan has bound this poor woman. She's been unable to get free in all of those many years. Is it not true that Satan can tie in a moment a knot which you and I cannot unloose on our own? Knots of anger that turn into bitterness. 
knots of malice, knots of envy, knots of addiction, knots of lust, knots of gossip, knots of pornography, held in bondage, unable to loose ourselves. That's why we need a compassionate Savior to step in. We read in verse 12 that he saw her. When Jesus saw her, I'm convinced that all of the painters in the world would never be able to produce a satisfactory picture of Jesus because they would never be able to capture those expressive eyes of Jesus. He saw her and he called her over. Did he know her name? Of course he does. He knows all of our names. His calling is personal and it's unmistakable. Do you remember the story after his resurrection when Mary comes to the garden with the other ladies to anoint the body of Jesus? And Mary comes and she finds one she assumes to be the gardener as it is still darkened in the night sky around. She has this discussion with this supposed gardener. Just tell me where you've laid his body and I'll go bring it back. And then with just a word, Jesus looks to her and says to her, Mary, speaks her name. And in a moment she recognizes who he is. You see how Jesus in his healing ministry here comes to where people are. comes to where she is and he doesn't say to her fix yourself and then I will finish he doesn't say do this and I will repair or do that and I will heal no he does nothing of the sort we're told that he saw her he called her and he healed her woman you are freed from your disability, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. What a glorious sight that must have been. Immediately she was healed, and immediately she rose in worship to God. What she said, we have no idea. No reporter could ever have taken it all down. She spoke not just with her mouth, but with her eyes, with her hands, with every limb of her body. Undoubtedly, she was a living mass of pleasure at this moment. <coughs> by, every moment she by every movement, she praised God. From the sole of her foot to the crown of her head, she praised Jesus for what he had done in his compassion towards her. And so we see this afflicted woman. We see a compassionate Savior. And then finally, as I mentioned, we see a heartless Pharisee. Look at one of the immediate reactions that is encountered here. The ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. 
Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his, at, his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Not not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. What a heartless man this is. A woman who for 18 years has struggled, has literally, physically been downtrodden, and healing comes. He gets mad about it. Do you notice here who the ruler of the synagogue addresses? In, in verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue said to the people. Now who is this ruler of the synagogue mad at? Mad at Jesus. But he doesn't talk to Jesus. He talks to the people. He complains about Jesus, but not to Jesus. That's so often the way it is. Isn't that ridiculous? We thought this was a modern occurrence. No, it's been going on forever. Instead of talking to the person you're upset with, you talk to everyone else. Why? Hopes of making them upset with him as well. It's a plan of mutiny. And he complains about Jesus showing compassion and mercy. You believe that? And look at what Jesus does. The, the, the Lord doesn't turn around and play his game. Then the Lord answered him. The ruler of the synagogue turns to address the people, and Jesus steps right into his line of sight and says to him, You hypocrites. He said, You'll take care of your barn animals on the Sabbath day. But you won't extend compassion and mercy to this afflicted woman. See, there was no prohibition in the law against doing deeds of mercy on the Sabbath. What, what law was broken? Jesus simply spoke and he touched. There's no law against that. But this man had no pity for this woman's plight. He had no eye for the beauty of Christ's compassion, no soul to rejoice with her deliverance, no ear for the music of her praise. Quite honestly, the bondage of this synagogue ruler was much worse than the bondage of this woman. Her bondage only affected her body. His bondage shackled his mind and his heart. And here is this synagogue ruler. He had the living word of God teaching the written word of God and accused him of breaking the word of God. How foolish is this? He says, you're, you're a hypocrite. You'll show more compassion and mercy to a donkey, to an ox, than you will this poor woman. 
For 18 years, she was held in bondage. And Jesus brings deliverance. There's to be rejoicing over that. It's so amazing to me that the devil takes 18 long years to forge a chain, and it does not take our Savior 18 seconds to break it. Can I draw some application to us this morning? This, this woman that we see in Luke chapter 13 is a picture of all of us. <coughs> Apart from Christ, in our sin, we are in bondage and there is nothing that we can do about it. We are dependent upon the compassionate mercy of Jesus to bring salvation. And some of you this day, if we could see physically what is going on spiritually in each other's lives, it would quite honestly repulse us. If we could see spiritual, the, the truth of what's happening in our inner spirit, if somehow that were made physical in appearance to us, it would repulse us. Some of you today sitting here would be mere corpses, dead in your sin, in your trespasses. Some of you would be scooped in bondage to, to that addiction, in bondage to that behavior, in bondage to that attitude. The only hope we have is a compassionate Savior who steps in to speak and to touch us where we are and bring healing. Those of you this day who are dead in your sin and in your trespasses, I proclaim to you the glorious gospel that Jesus died in order that you might be forgiven and live. He paid the penalty for your sin so that you might be made whole and you might be healed in spirit. Some of you, as Christians, are walking around with that which you would not reveal to anyone, that, that hidden secret of sin that you hold close and tight. But Jesus sees, and in compassion, he speaks to break that bond. If you will receive his loosened power, you will find what Jesus can do with life. Church, can I ask you this by way of application as well? Upon whom do we have compassion? Do, do we see the hurting, the aching, the downtrodden among us? Do we really? What would it be like if this, if this poor woman came into our gathering? 
Would we react in compassion and rejoicing at what Christ can do in our heart and life? Upon whom do we as a church have compassion? Do we see those around us that are in pitiful, sin-bound condition? Do we not have compassion? Father, this day, you have brought us to this point of reminder. Reminder of your great mercy. Reminder of our compassionate Savior, Jesus, who loves, who heals, who forgives, who saves. Father, I pray for those today within our midst that do not know Jesus. I pray that this might be the day that the power of the Spirit would bring conviction to their hearts and they would realize this is the day to come to Christ. Father, I pray for us as your children. Within this place, many who are in bondage to Satan's knots. Pray, Father, please. Jesus, would you grant liberty to those who are oppressed that they might know freedom. And I pray for all of us today, Father, that we would be the compassionate eyes, arms, feet, and mouthpieces of Jesus. To this world weighed down by sin and guilt. And that we might point them to a Savior who has died that they might be forgiven. We pray this now in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.